Let's pray together, shall we? Father, what a joy to sing together those realities that um, our sin is gone, we're hidden in you, all because of the cross, all because of your grace, all because of your faithful love for us. Lord, would you just do a work in us now as we study the word together? Strengthen us, encourage us, and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn as we continue to study in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. Matthew 15, you might want to get a pen and get your notes ready to go. They're in your bulletin today. I hope you're finding that helpful. And as you turn and find Matthew 15 in your Bible, you might glance up at the screen because I want to show you something that you've never seen before. These are your pastor's kidneys. So it's turned sideways. It should be up and down in the, the split arteries. Are the arteries going down to the legs? Uh, many of you are aware of the fact that I am being checked out to give a kidney to my sister-in-law. It'll probably happen sometime in September. And so I have been going through a, a whole battery of testing in downtown Baltimore on different days at the University of Maryland, uh, making sure that I'm healthy and strong, making sure that my kidneys are in the right place and all. And a couple weeks ago, they injected dye into me and they sent me to the imaging center and there they took a picture of what was going on inside of me. And that's an actual picture. I'll tell you one, one stunning reality that I have been reveling in. Uh, yesterday or Friday, they did my heart, uh, both with, um, uh, with the imaging like you do with an uh, unborn baby. What's that called? ultrasound. They did an ultrasound of my heart. They also did the dye and they put it in my heart. And, but I wasn't able to get my hands on an image of my heart, which would have even been better for this because that's what we're talking about our hearts today and what's going on on the inside. But I tell you, I want to say a couple things as a form of testimony. One is I have just worshiped as I've watched these images come up on the screen about how marvelously created we are. And to think of the blasphemous statement of saying that a big bang went off and this happened is so wrong. And it's so wrong to teach that to our children. I mean, look at that. That's just incredible. Um, and if all goes as planned and everything inside of me is in the right place, and so far it seems to be, they will take my left kidney, of which I'm not sure is one of, which one is left, and right on there. Um, as I also was leaving Friday afternoon at 6 o'clock, as I said, this Friday was my cardiac testing, and I had to have imaging for my heart, the ultrasound, all kinds of things. And, and I tell you, I wanted as just a testimony to the goodness of the Lord to say that I came out of there, and they said that I, I'm just in excellent heart health and zero percentage of calcium buildup, and my, my heart is in perfect condition and perfectly shaped, and all the valves are flapping just right, and all of the size of the of the chambers of my heart are exactly correct and the, the walls of my heart muscle haven't thickened at all and, and just 100% heart health. And I just had to stop and say thank you to the Lord for that. And I didn't know what we would find. I thought, you know, they could say, you know, I've eaten a lot of junk food, you know. And they could say like 13% blockage or 41% or something. And so I came away awed once again at this battery of tests at our great creator's handiwork as well as just the, the humble privilege that I have of having excellent health right now. And so, Lord willing, this will all proceed. But I was thinking as these images have, have unfolded before my eyes, 
What is it that God sees when he looks inside of us? Now, I'm not talking about our kidneys or our heart, the muscle that beats blood through our system. I'm talking about a different kind of heart. I'm talking about the command center, the moral and spiritual command center of our lives where our decisions are made, where our values are established. And when God sees, he looks right into the core of my being. In Matthew chapter 15, as we revisit where we didn't complete last week, we're going to see that this is what Jesus is addressing. He's addressing our hearts What's going on on the inside and how much more important it is to care about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. Let's read our text. We're in Matthew chapter 15. We are going to take time to go to Mark's gospel in chapter 7. And we're going to read his entire section of this, the parallel account, as we have been doing on some occasions. And you're going to find that to be very helpful, I think. And then we're going to begin at Roman numeral 2 in our notes. I went ahead and filled in Roman numeral 1 for those who weren't here. Others of you already have this. And we're going to pick up verses 10 through 20 of chapter 15 in Matthew's gospel. I was thinking even as it's um, been a challenge to move through Matthew in any kind of timely manner, it's taking us quite a while. I was thinking though, you know the benefit, one of the benefits of doing it this way, of just moving through the book and taking what's next, is that we might never have a message on this text if we weren't moving through. And I have found this text so challenging. I think you're going to find it helpful again this week as well as we look at this passage and how it applies to our lives today. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 15 with verse 1. And then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, Jesus answered them, and then why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So remember, this passage starts with great conflict between these Pharisees that probably the Galilean Pharisees called up from Jerusalem to get some heavy-duty firepower to try to come knock the legs out from underneath the ministry of our Lord Jesus. What they're accusing him of is this matter of a ceremonial washing of the hands before they eat. They have observed that Jesus does not enforce this with his disciples. They eat without washing their hands, not for hygienic reasons, but for ceremonial religious reasons. Let's read on. Verse 4, for God commanded, Jesus says to them, they said, how come you don't wash your hands, your disciples don't wash your hands? Jesus answers back, verse 4, How come you break the commandment of God, verse 3, for the command, verse 4, honor your father and your mother, that's Exodus 20.10, the fifth commandment, and Exodus 21.17, Moses also added, whoever reviles or disrespects or uh, uh, dishonors his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their, there's our word, their heart is far from me. Now let's stop just a minute and let's remind ourselves the origin of this word hypocrite. We understand the word hypocrite. It comes from the the Greek playhouse, the, the theater. And it was the idea of these masks that had sticks on them. And the play actors would pick up the mask, hold it in front of their face and act out the part. Then they would put it down, pick up another one and become another person. 
So the word hypocrite derives from the Greek word that describes these play actors putting these masks in front of their face. It's the idea of having on a mask. In other words, what the mask is is what's not behind the mask or even what the next mask might become. I'm not for real. I'm representing myself in a way that is disingenuous. Jesus is quoting Isaiah with this powerful quote. And he says that Isaiah even prophesied this about them. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They present themselves up front with the mask of their lips. But in reality, what God sees in their hearts is far, far away from what they're representing themselves. In vain, verse 9, do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. So they are teaching as truth from God their own traditions. This is real problematic. Verse 10, And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus says, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Isn't that interesting? Let's go directly to Mark's gospel in chapter 7, and let's do the same thing we've just done. Let's read... Mark's parallel account of this, and you're going to see that Mark adds some detail that is very helpful to our understanding of exactly what's happening. Now, we referenced this last week a little bit, but this will help get us up to speed. Here we go, Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So you'll recall from last week, this is the idea that they had written in their commentaries about the law that you must have this ceremonial hand cleansing. Like they said in Mark, if you went to the marketplace, you might have grabbed something that had been touched by a Gentile. Well, if you were a good Jew, you wouldn't want to do that and you would be unclean and you would want to have to have this ceremonial cleansing or maybe you would drop something on the ground and perhaps a dog stepped where that dropped and, and you would maybe have some dog on you and you wouldn't want to have dog on you. You'd be unclean and, and you just you don't know what you're going to pick up at the market place and so you would want to have this ceremonial cleansing and it was just a little bit of water in a cup and they would hold up their hands and they would pour it over their fingertips and it would run down and then run down their elbows and then they would turn their hands over and they would pour the water on top of their wrists and it would run down off their fingertips and then they were good to go they could eat Jesus did not enforce this with his disciples and immediately they picked up on it 
All right. And this was their rules. This is what what the rabbis had written down. This is what they had had come to accept. That was very, very important. Remember, we even referenced last week to the degree that that if you were hungry and you were even starving and there were food present there, you would be better off to starve to death than to eat it without the washing of your hands. So it didn't have anything to do with cleanliness as far as germs go or hygienic cleansing. It had everything to do with this ceremonial ritual that they had adopted that, boy, we would just not do that and be spiritual. And they were very accusative then of Jesus and his disciples. And Mark adds that they had many other traditions in the middle of verse 4 in this parenthetical edition. There are many other traditions that they observe. Washing their cups and their pots and their copper vessels and dining couches. And so they had all kinds of these rituals. Verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according, here it is, to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. This is Jesus to the Pharisees in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, parentheses, that is given to God. That's what Corban means, given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. They have many of these kinds of things. So remember what this was. Okay, so if your parents had need in their old age, they were no longer able to work, they were no longer able to care for themselves, all right, and you had resources to care for them, money, material goods, property, And you could share this with your parents, but because of your love of things and money and selfishness, you would literally dishonor your parents, but you would do it in a spiritual way. You would use this oath, Corbin, given to God, and you could say that over your bank accounts or over your properties, over your resources, and you could say the Corbin oath, and then it was part of their rules then that since that was now given to God, why, you couldn't give that to your parents, Because it's given to God. And so then your parents would literally be dishonored in their old age by your lack of care for them, which Jesus has pointed out that to revile them or to be selfish or to not take care of your parents, to dishonor your parents, actually was to bring the death penalty in the Old Testament. Young people here today, aren't you glad we're in the New Testament? (laughs) In fact, dishonoring your parents still brings the death penalty. But here, listen to this, you guys, young people. It brings the death penalty, but Jesus took it for you. So he went to the electric chair on your behalf. So if you've reviled your parents, it still demands the death penalty, but Jesus took it for you. You need to wake up, love your parents. But these are grown adults and they're playing games with their money because of their love of money. And so they do the Corbin oath. And then when their parents died or no longer needed assistance, they could actually go back to their resources and their money accounts and they could do another Corbin oath and they could get it all back. And Jesus is saying, you you're worried about my disciples and this silly washing of hands. 
and, and you don't even care about the word of God with your Corban oath? You see what Jesus is doing? I mean, this is conflict going on here. Let's finish Mark's account. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again and he said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus would call out like that. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. You see, this was stunning to them. Even Peter. We know, because Peter's the one who's asking the question. And just look up a minute and just let me remind you of a story in Peter's life. Later on, much later after this happened... Peter is still hung up on what he can eat and what he can't eat. And you notice that Mark adds this parenthetical thought where he says all foods are clean. This goes back to the Old Testament where in the Jewish law, in in Mosaic law, even under, under the ceremonial law of the Jews, they could only eat certain kinds of foods. But in the New Testament, Jesus declared all foods okay to eat. Well, in Galatians chapter 1 or chapter 2, I can't remember, there is Paul, I think it's in chapter 1, Paul gives an account where they're at a church fellowship dinner. And Peter's there, and Paul is there, the Apostle Paul is there, and there were only Gentile believers there, and guess what? They're enjoying very much a bunch of pulled pork. Okay, it's just really doing, it's really going well. And all of a sudden they look up, and in the back of the build, in the back of the room, a bunch of Jewish believers come in who, who still did not let themselves eat this unclean food. And Peter gets up from the table where he was eating pork and he moves over and he joins the Jewish believers and he acts like he wasn't a part of that. And it says, Paul says, I got up and I confronted him to, him, to his face right there. So here's a church dinner. These apostles, these are heavy hitters. They're eating, Peter's eating pork. He gets up, goes, joins the Jews and old Paul follows him over there and starts wagging his finger at him. You can't do this. You can eat the pork. You go over there eating pork and you're just doing it to show off in front of these people. So this is a big deal to Peter. You know, Peter's just trying to understand, Lord, how is it? And remember in Acts 15, I think it is, where the sheet was lowered and Peter was given permission to eat, kill and eat. It's a deer hunter's favorite passage. He said, lowered it down, open up all the animals, kill and eat, enjoy. And so notice that Mark adds this to the passage here. Um, where it says, since it enters not, verse 19, his heart, there it is again, what's on the inside, his heart, but his stomach, and then it's just expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person, verse 20, Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man come. Now I want you to notice that Mark adds a list here now that is longer than Matthew's list. Theft, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Those basically followed the the last five of the Ten Commandments. Then Mark goes on to add wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. 
Now we're back in Matthew chapter 15. We're beginning with verse 10. We have our notes and our pen ready to go. And let's just run through and break it down and understand what's happening. So this is Jesus teaching his disciples. And um, the first thing we see after they've had this conflict over the disciples not washing their hands and Jesus coming right back after the fair, at the Pharisees with their dishonoring their parents, caring more about their their traditions than the actual obedience to the word of God. Then the people come back together. Jesus, verse 10, calls the people to him, Matthew 15, 10. And he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. This is really letter A, a parable. The first thing he does is he just shares a parable. We know it's a parable because when Peter asks him about it, he calls it a parable. There's some symbolic meaning here. What is Jesus teaching? In Mark chapter 7, we've already emphasized that through this teaching, he declared all foods to be fine. And this is a little bit of, uh, I've called this, the, remember we've talked about this before, and I've said this, this gives you permission to eat at five guys, right? Because you can just go put it in and it's just going to come out. That's not what defiles you. Well, you know what? If we're talking about this stuff, you better pay attention to where you eat. But we're talking about something even more important than that. Jesus is holding up a contrast that it's what's going on in the heart. So he shares this parable. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. They respond with a question. Verse 12, a question letter B. Then the disciples came and said to him, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this thing? How many of you think Jesus knew the Pharisees were offended? (laughs) Absolutely. Don't you love him for it? So, that's my point. I'm teaching you the truth. So he asked the question, do you know they're offended? And Jesus doesn't even answer that question. He responds, letter C, with a principle, a spiritual principle. Notice what it says in verse 13a. He says, he answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be rooted up. There it is. There's a principle there. Every plant... That my heavenly father, let me make sure I said that correctly, has not planted, will be rooted up. Doesn't that remind you of Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the, the wheat and the tares? Remember where the, the master had planted wheat in the field, Matthew 13, and it had grown up. But the servants went out and along with the wheat growing up, they had noticed that the, the weeds, these tares had grown up. And so the servants were upset about it, went to the master and said, hey, should we go pull the weeds out of the wheat field? And he said, no, 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 it'll disrupt the root, the root footing. Leave them alone. My death angels will come at the end of the age and they will know how to tear them up and they will know how to destroy and they'll know how to throw them into fire. Just, just don't worry about it. I think that's a little bit what Jesus is referencing here. We have a principle here. Don't worry about these guys. The disciples are really upset. Do you know you upset the Pharisees? Jesus basically says, don't worry about it. If my father didn't plant them, they'll be torn up later on. We'll take care of them later. He moves on in letter D is a proverb. He moves from a principle at the beginning of verse 13 to moving into 14 with a proverb. And he says, let them alone because they are blind guides. And here's the proverb. The wisdom saying, the pithy saying, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, this is probably something that his listeners could relate to. Uh, It was common for for farmers in their fields to divot out the ground or to make holes in the ground 
sometimes even an entire well pit, but other times just to cisterns to collect water. And so they would have these pits so they could water their fields or water their animals. And and Jesus is pointing out that these Pharisees are blind and they're leading blind people. And if they're going to make their way across this field with holes in it, they're going to fall into the pit. And I think he's even emphasizing here even more. It's a word picture. I mean, the idea is with this proverb, if the blind are leading the blind, they're going to fall into a pit, the abyss. I think Jesus could even be referencing the idea that these Pharisees are blind. They're leading blind people with them and they're going to end up in the very pit of hell without the truth. We move on and we see a request from Peter. In verse 15, Peter makes a request, letter E, a request in verse 15. But Peter said to him, would you please explain this parable to us? This is how we know that it began with, he called it a parable, because look what Jesus responds, first of all, with a scolding, letter F, and then he gives instruction, letter G. But notice how it's almost embarrassing for old Peter And Jesus says in verse 16, are you also still without understanding? So kind of like, Peter, how dumb can you get? How how come you don't get this, Peter? But then he moves on and he gives instruction. Do you not see? So Peter asks to explain the parable and Jesus explains verse 11. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. You should circle that word. And this defiles the person. For out of the heart, there it is again, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, Peter, that does not defile anybody. So what's he doing? Why did Peter get scolded? What did Jesus expect him to know? I think it is all about this word, the heart. I mean, let's just think back of what Jesus has been teaching his disciples. For example, the Sermon on the Mount. We spent several months of sermons going through the Sermon on the Mount some time ago. And remember in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was teaching, this is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Wasn't there a great emphasis there? On how you have heard it said, for example, you have heard it said, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not do murder, right? And Jesus was teaching it. But remember what the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount had to do with the heart. Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I'm saying to you, if you've had hatred in your heart and you've said raka or you're fool, you are guilty of murder. Wait a minute. What's that all about? I've never killed anybody. No, but you've hated in your heart. And so, you're guilty. Jesus is making the whole point that it's the matter of the heart. What's going on? When God images into the moral and spiritual command center of our hearts, what does he see? And so you say, I would never, I'm not capable of murder. I would, by the way, everybody's capable of any sin at any time, but for the grace of God. And you know, I wouldn't do murder but you have deep-seated bitterness and even hatred towards relationships of the past or people or neighbors. And isn't it funny how you could be, you can be out on the other side of Hogback Mountain by yourself, out on a deer stand with no one around, and hatred can spill up in your hearts. 
Where did that come from? It's not what goes into the mouth that's going to corrupt you. It's what comes out of your heart. Because when you walk to the other side of Hogback Mountain and you sit down and sin begins to well up, it comes right out of the heart. You carry your heart with you. There it is. That's what Jesus is concerned about. He's really not concerned at what percentage of plaque has built up in your arteries. But he's concerned about the sinful plaque that's built up in the spiritual heart of your command center. I mean, the same thing. Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, good. Check. I've never committed adultery. But then he moves on and he gets very quiet and uncomfortable in the room. But I say to you that if you've lusted after a woman to commit sin with her in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. Whoa. Whoa. Interesting. You can do that on the other side of Hogback Mountain all by yourself as well, can't you? Because it comes out of the heart. Right? And so this is what Jesus is talking about. And so he's giving instruction. And it is interesting how in Matthew, he, he basically clicks off very similarly to the last five of the Ten Commandments. Verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery or sexual immorality. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And then there's slander. And then we noted that Mark added another five things on his list of debauchery and baseness and just sinful revelry. All the things that we're capable of doing that we don't have to be taught that just come out of the heart. And so Jesus gives this instruction. Here these Pharisees are all bent out of shape that they haven't followed this ritualistic washing of the hands. And Jesus said, forget the outside. I'm imaging on the inside. I know what's going on on the inside. In our conclusion... We noticed last week that our greatest need, number five on the conclusion, our greatest need was to not have clean hands, but to have God scrub our hearts. It begins with being born again at the cross, laying down our sin, accepting the free gift of God's salvation, where He goes through the death penalty for us, for all of our sin, and by grace we can receive His forgiveness and His righteousness and be born again. But it moves even beyond that, doesn't it? What Jesus is talking about here is for believers too. I mean, the whole idea here for number six, that which is often most important to us, like that which is most important in God's eyes, excuse me, the internals, the condition of my heart is in reality to us often the most neglected part of us, isn't it? For lesser things, the externals. For example... How many of us work harder on cleaning our car, cleaning our homes, the way we dress, staying in style, putting on our face? We spend a lot of money, a lot of effort, daily routines. Because why? Because other people are going to see this. It's a representation of who we are. And we got to look right. And we don't want dandelions in our yard. And so we're very concerned about externals. And in sometimes rightly so, really. But not to the expense of, of knowing what's going on on the inside, you see. Because, as we said in First Samuel last week, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God's imaging. Man, we are full of dye all the time in front of God. And his radar machine, his x-ray machine, man, whatever kind of machine it is, it is always just imaging. And he knows exactly what's going on inside. It's downright scary, isn't it? So the things that are most important, these internals, are often neglected for the externals. 
think there is a, an important lesson too here. It's up under number three, but I just wanted to make sure I said that at Fellowship Bible Church, we better be very slow to judge people by their external looks. I mean, there's principles of modesty. There's reasons people look the way they look. And a good tree always bears good fruit. In other words, you can tell some things on the outside of a person by, about what's going on on the inside of a person. But I'm saying according to this and according, you see the Pharisees were all hung up on all the external behavior and, and looking exactly right and doing everything exactly right. And Jesus said, forget all that stuff. I want to know what's going on in your heart. And that's the way it needs to be here, isn't it? You know, you can come to this church without a suit and a tie on. Who cares? Who cares? Whatever it is that hangs you up. You got a tattoo? Who cares? Who cares? What's going on in your heart? That's what you better pay attention to. Number seven, the heart will never be controlled apart from the lordship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. So what do we do here? We've got to come to a place, don't we? We get to the foot of the cross again as believers in Christ. And we lay down all the junk of our hearts and we ask God to show us how to be honest, to put down the, the hypocritical, the hypo, hypocritical masks and say, Lord, that I would just be authentic in your presence. And I want my heart to come in under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that there are no hidden pockets and recesses in my heart where I have my favorite sin penned up. And I keep my little favorite things going on inside the, the, my heart, my moral command center. And I got all this stuff that I rationalize and I justify. And it's all okay with God and me because we've got an arrangement. No, you don't. He is imaging right into your heart and he knows exactly what you're doing. And you can't fool him. He knows your motives. He knows what you're doing. He knows everything about you. And you better bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience to his word. The only way you can do that is letting the Word of God, number eight, transform you through the saturation of Scripture. The saturation of Scripture. Psalm 119, 10 and 11. And thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is not an easy task, people. To be totally capable of singing hymns before the throne of God above. And on the inside to be far from God at that same moment in the theater of your mind or in the lusts and desires of your heart. This is a continual battle. This is something we never give up on. And the Holy Spirit works in us and the Word of God works up. And Peter ends up getting it because Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, put away all malice, that's a sin of the heart. Put away all deceit, that's a sin of the heart. Put away all hypocrisy, that's a sin of the heart. Put away all envy, that's a sin of the heart. Put away all slander, that's a sin of the heart that comes across the lips. And like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. There's your memory assignment for the week in beginning to let your mind become saturated with the Word of God that it would infiltrate to the command center of my heart that my heart would be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I gave you a little assignment there in your text box. So why does Jesus care about the heart so much? I mean, we get that. But here's a bunch of verses. Just look them up. You can figure out the answers. God commanded us to love him with all of our heart, and he sees really who we are in our hearts, and we're so easily deceived by our own hearts. Solomon said we must guard our hearts. Our heart is the moral and spiritual command center.
There is, by the way, to interrupt the flow here for a second, under number two there, if you look these up, Psalm 27, 19, that's a mess up. There's not 19 verses in Psalm 27, so I'm not sure what I did. Um, It's possible it's Psalm 127, I don't know. So you take this home with you, and now we have to process, right? Who cares about clean hands? Who cares about five guys in Mountain Dew? What we care about is what God sees in the imaging of our hearts, right? Shall we stand together? As we bow before the Lord, will you examine your heart for a moment? Will you thank Him for the cross? Thank Him that we can stand before Him just, our sin forgiven. He's waiting for us to admit then as well that in some back closet on the top corner shelf of that closet in the back room of my heart, there's a bunch of garbage that needs to come under his lordship. Be a good time right now to dump it out at the foot of the cross. And so, Father, would you help us to care more about what's on the inside than what's on the outside? Would you help us to, to be authentic believers in Christ? We're so easily hung up on just nonsense. The way somebody's hair looks or jewelry or clothing. Help us to care deeply about our hearts. Forgive us for investing so much resource in externals. Even just colors and cars and things that aren't wrong but that can so easily beset us and help us, Lord, to just be driven to cooperate with you in the imaging of our hearts so that there's nothing there that would bring dishonor to Jesus Christ. Help us. We need it. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and that you're patient and working working and unfolding your plan and conforming us to the image of Christ. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, for this week, that it would be a week of spiritual growth and blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.